Hi, I'm Jason Mark, the latest addition to the Curious City team. These days, lots of people are searching for locally sourced food. So, you might think that because we live right here on Lake Michigan, most of the fish you order in restaurants or pick up in the grocery store comes from the lake. But unless you caught it yourself or know someone who did, that's not likely the case. That's ocean perch from um, the east or west coast of Canada. Catfish. Catfish are farm-raised Alabama, Mississippi. Frog legs. (laughs) Those are farm-raised Taiwan uh, and Indonesia. So why doesn't Chicago have a big commercial fishing industry? Reporter Jessica Popovac helped us figure that one out a few years back. And while you can't do a big commercial haul out of the lake, one thing you can catch way out in our waters is a sky filled with stars. We can barely see anything of the city right now. Above us, we can see a lot of stars and constellations that we can definitely not see from our apartment. That's all coming up after the break. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. It turns out commercial fishing was big in Chicago from the city's earliest days. In 1943 alone, crews pushing off from the Calumet and Chicago rivers and the North Shore hauled in a record 1.6 million pounds of fish from Lake Michigan. But since then, the industry has dried up. So what happened? You can still see some remnants of Chicago's fishing industry along the Chicago River, like here, at Lawrence's Fish and Shrimp Restaurant in Chinatown. It's right next to that old vertical lift railroad bridge, the one with the tiny house on top. Today, it's just a restaurant. But 60 years ago, it was a busy fish stand where commercial fishermen docked their boats and sold their catch. Kurt Schweig is a third-generation owner of Lawrence's Fish and Shrimp. The original Lawrence was his grandpa. Hey, Kurt. Nice to meet you. Good to meet you. I met Schweig on his family dock right where the fishing boats used to come in from Lake Michigan. What was caught here in uh, Lake Michigan? Yeah, so the three fish that I know of were uh, whitefish, uh, lake trout, and chubs. Uh, That's for the smoking side of things. Then they also caught lake perch for general consumption. They sold fresh and smoked fish, both to the public and to local retailers. I know that they sold the Dominic's and Jewel. Uh, Smoked fish and, and fresh fish was a huge part of Chicago culture. That came from no refrigeration back at the turn of the century, and this is how we preserve things. We smoke it. They smoked it 24 hours a day in three smokehouses, each about the size of a big backyard shed. They'd fit about a thousand fish in each one. Schweig still remembers the guy who ran his grandfather's smokehouses. He reeked of smoke. I mean, it (laughs) never came out of his skin and hair. Do you remember his name? Uh, Lee. As a six- or seven-year-old, he was quite intimidating. <laughs> he was a big Swedish guy and chewed tobacco and smoked cigarettes and smoked with a heavy accent, and he smelled like smoke. And, of course, Schweig remembers the fishermen. They'd typically work 12- or 14-hour days, even into the winter months. They did have an affinity for alcohol. Um, 
and because it was a really different lifestyle, very, very hard life. But those fishermen are long gone. And today, nothing on the menu at Lawrence's restaurant is caught here in the Great Lakes. That's ocean perch from um, the east or west coast of Canada. Catfish. Catfish are farm-raised uh, Alabama, Mississippi. Frog legs. Those are farm-raised Taiwan uh, and Indonesia. So what happened to all those fish the fishermen used to catch? Well, there are many answers. A lake's ecology is a complex thing. Some blame unregulated pollution. Others blame overfishing. But just about everyone agrees a turning point was the arrival of the sea lamprey. In the early 20th century, man-made shipping canals allowed the lamprey to migrate from the Atlantic to the Great Lakes. I don't know if you know anything about the biology of the sea lamprey, but... Uh, you know, you can call it a bloodsucker. Richard Hess worked on conservation for the state of Illinois from the mid-70s until the early 2000s. It attaches to the side of a large fish and rests through the skin. It has a sucker disc on its mouth, so it attaches very firmly, and then it lives off the body fluids of its host fish, mainly lake trout. Hess says that once there were too many lampreys, the trout population tanked. Other invasive species followed, Eventually, the regional governments around the Great Lakes decided they needed to do something to manage their fish populations. So, in 1966, they introduced salmon to help control some of the invasive species. And soon after, they also started setting fishing quotas for each state. But Illinois' quota wasn't big enough to support its commercial fishing industry. So, Illinois reduced the number of fishing licenses from 44 to just three. It held a lottery for those. Kurt Schwag remembers the shock of that. Sport fishing had also grown since the introduction of the salmon, and Schwag says that the commercial fishermen who worked off his grandfather's dock were not happy. They felt like it was uh, sport fishing who was driving it in order to enhance the ability for the sport fishing industry to grow. For a while, some old commercial fishermen didn't let the quota laws stop them. They got out there and fished anyway. Over the years, you know, I arrested a few of them. (laughs) We had a lot of confrontations with some of them, especially when things went political and they went to Springfield with their lobbyists and lobbied for their existence, their livelihood, while the sport fishermen were gaining political influence in Springfield saying, uh, we don't want them out there anymore. Today, the quotas for almost all the commercial fish species are zero. And there's only one commercial license active in Illinois. And that license hasn't been used in about 20 years. If commercial fishing ever does return to Illinois, it will be because fish populations have recovered enough to justify raising quotas again. There are small signs of hope. State DNRs have been stocking trout since the 60s and monitoring progress. Vic Santucci runs the Lake Michigan Fishery Program for the Illinois DNR. He says a few years ago, they finally started seeing the trout reproduce naturally. It was very cool, in my opinion, you know, to see that after 50 years of stocking that these fish were finally starting to reproduce. We're not claiming that rehabilitation is complete yet, but to see it sustained over multiple years like this, that's, I mean, that's a positive sign. Santucci says before they raise any quotas, they'll need to find a lot of the same type of fish for several years in a row. I went out recently with Santucci's team. They were looking for perch at Loyola Beach. They put on waders, unrolled their 30-foot net, and walked it out into the water. 
they came back with a mound of small fish. They were looking for young perch, but they didn't find any perch that day. Spot tail, 40. Not there or at any of the other four sites. Do you think the populations will ever be robust enough to allow for commercial fishing again? Boy, that's a tough call. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tough thing to predict. We don't have a crystal ball. It's possible that things could turn around, but it's hard to predict that if it will ever come back. Well, we signed on in Charlevoix aboard the Mary Jean. Me and my shipmate Davy, we both turned 17. And we stowed our gear up forward, and our day's work soon be laid. We learned the ropes the hard way in the Great Lakes fishing trade. So call hands. I used to fish for perch all the time at Montrose Harbor with my dad. This was in the 70s and 80s, and there were a ton of fish back in those days. And I really hope their numbers come back. I'd love to share that experience with my kids. Now, something I can do with the kids these days is stargazing. And coming up after the break, two former members of the Curious City crew search for the best spots to see the stars in the city. That's coming up right after this. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. Ahoy there, I'm Logan Jaffe. And I'm Jesse Dukes. We're answering a question from Paula de Los Angeles. Paula is from a smallish town in Connecticut, went to college in another small town in California, and then moved to Chicago. So this is the first time where I'm I'm living in a big city with a lot of tall buildings, night lights, and everything. And she noticed something really big was missing. I guess it's the first time where I've looked up and... It's just not that easy to see the stars, you know. Maybe you don't know. If you're not like Paula, if you didn't grow up in a smaller city or rural town, maybe you have no idea what you're missing. You see, Chicago has some of the worst light pollution in the country. Glare from streetlights and the sprawl obscures the stars. Even in far-out suburbs, you can only see just a handful of stars, if you're lucky. So we asked astronomers and stargazers where Chicago's good stargazing spots are, you know, aside from the Adler Planetarium. And they all said the same thing. Nowhere. Womp. Except? You can see stars if you're in this one huge, gaping dark spot. I had no idea that it would be in the middle of Lake Michigan. Which explains why Logan and I left the city's orange night glow and went stargazing in a sailboat to give you a taste of what you are missing. Paula came along for the ride, and so did this guy. Larry Chupik, astronomer, Adler Planetarium. What we're doing right now uh, is we're actually trying to see how dark it gets as we go out into Lake Michigan away from the city lights. 
You want to be under a black sky to have the lowest light pollution. We're going to get going right off the bat here. That's Aaron Olson. He was our skipper for the evening. All right, and we're off. So we are leaving Navy Pier on a sailboat, and it's an amazing oh, view of the city. We can there's see Venus, guys. Millennium Park, and apparently there's Venus. Oh, Is yeah. that that very bright star, star up there? Wow. Really oh, it's a planet. Oh, planet. So let's see what else we can see. Saturn is just above that cirrus cloud pack. Still only halfway. We're only about as far as, say, Cicero is from the right loop. But we're already seeing stars we couldn't see in Chicago. So, also, here's the big dipper up here. So, if we cut the engine now, it'll get very quiet. This is crazy. Wow. Listen to the quiet. <laughs> It's very quiet out here right now. We can barely see anything of the city right now. Above us, we can see a lot of stars and constellations that we can definitely not see from our apartment. So how do you stargaze? Well, if you find the Big Dipper, you can do star hopping. And you can star hop and follow the arc of the handle stars to Arcturus and then you speed on to Spica. So Arcturus is another constellation, and Spica is... So I'm just going to pause the tape for a second to say, Logan and I were only 11 miles out into the lake, and we could see hundreds of stars you can't see in Chicago. But Chupik said he'd still only give this guy a B-, minus, which ain't bad. Heck, it's better than the F he'd give to Chicago. But I could see his point. We still didn't see the Milky Way, and I really wanted to see it. And now... Back to our stargazing boat. How far would we have to drive to get a sky this this good? You'd have to drive more than 50 miles out of Chicago, and that may not even do it. So, Larry, you told us before that light pollution is getting worse. So what happens if that distance keeps getting further and further? You'd end up with no more sky at all. It would all look like the Chicago sky. It's a whole kind of primal feeling when you see a very dark sky. If you see stars, you think about the wider universe. And big questions come up, like, where did I come from? Where did the universe come from? So it's almost a religious experience. What happens if we just don't ask those questions anymore? Wow. That's deep. I think humans are curious. I think curiosity and intelligence goes together. Weren't we all curious as children? Some of us lost that by just everyday life. So I think everyone needs to go to a dark sky once in a while. But the problem is the darkest sky sites around the world are getting light polluted as well. So, Paula... When I first saw the question that you would ask, I was like, oh, that's a fun question. And then um, we turned it into a bummer. And then we turned it into a bummer. No, but did you, I guess, did you realize when you asked that question that this is becoming more and more of a endangered experience? No, I really like the way that you phrase that it's an endangered experience. Like, I think it's a mix of feeling like you're with a lot of other people in the city and that's that's a very human experience, but also being out in the middle of 
Lake Michigan, when you can see the night sky, that's also a very human experience. So I think kind of have to pick when you're in Chicago. It's too bad that we can't see the night sky and also be around technology and a lot of lights too. I'm glad the motor started. Yeah. So that's the choice we're left with in Chicago these days. Mm-hmm. After we started the engines and headed back to the marina, I kept looking up at the sky. And all those stars we saw, they just disappeared as we got closer to the city. We saw hundreds, then dozens, then like five, all in an hour. Yeah, and it's not like we didn't get an amazing view of the loop from the water. But we had to commandeer a sailboat to remind us that Chicago even has stars in the first place. And those stars are there all the time. It's just, every night, we hide them. Thanks to Logan Jaffe and Jesse Dukes for their reporting. And here's a few updates since we first aired this story. Our question asker, Paula... She got married, and now she's Paula Lewis de Los Angeles. And after nearly 50 years at the Adler, astronomer Larry Chubik has retired. Congrats to you both. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation and is produced by Joe Dassault and me, Jason Mark. Maggie Civet is our digital and engagement producer. Sophia Lowe is our intern, and Alexandra Salomon edits the show. And don't forget to send us your questions. We can't make this podcast without them. Hit us up at wbez.org slash Curious City. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org slash curious. Thank you.